What's going on, everybody? This is Randall Barnes, the founder of HBCU Pulse and the host of HBCU Pulse Radio on Sirius XM in the building for another special edition of the show on today where we're going to talk about some HBCU football. Today, we're talking about the SWAC and the MEAC. So we had to bring in our amazing sports contributor, Ario Kilgore, she's a North Carolina A&T Aggie. She knows about championships. She knows about winning. So we're glad to have you on, Ario. How you doing today? I'm glad you recognize. I'm so glad you recognize. I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good. So we're going to kick it off with the swag, and then we're going to talk about uh, North Carolina Central later. But let's really get into it. So the first thing that we have to talk about is the fact that Baltimore Ravens legend, Hall of Famer, Super Bowl winner, and also he was great in college, Ed Reed is now the coach of the Bethune-Cookman Wildcats. Bethune-Cookman honestly has had a really great program in recent years. They fell on hard times this past year that led to the firing of their previous coach. Ed Reed is coming in when Deion Sanders is leaving, going to Colorado. So it's been a lot of intrigue around this hire. So, Ariel, I want to toss to you. What do you think about Bethune-Cookman hiring Ed Reed? I think just the essence of it that I'm, I'm kind of glad Deion Sanders could kind of leave what I would say a legacy of coaches, of professional coaches coming in and taking on those head coaching spots, especially for Bethune-Cookman. They had a really rough year this year. So I think this is going to be good for them. Knowing who Ed Reed is and what he's done with the Ravens and the Pro Bowl selections and everything that he has in his career, he's bringing in knowledge for a really good defense. So we can kind of see Bethune-Cookman kind of emerge in the swag of maybe having a little bit of competition to have with FAMU. So I think that it's important to note, you know, like how you were saying that he was a defensive mastermind. Like I remember before even you know, started coaching at Bethune Cookman. He was announced he would be the next head coach. It was a video going around on social media about how he outthought Peyton Manning, where he did like the wrong thing in coverage for like games and weeks until they played the Colts. And he knew that Peyton was going to know he was going to go this way. So he faked him out and ran across the field and got an interception on Peyton Manning, one of the smartest football players, quarterbacks ever. Like that is how Ed Reed's mind works. So it's going to be interesting to see how he's able to mold and develop these players, especially on defense and especially those that play safety that play DB I think that that's going to be interesting but what really has me excited about Ed Reed is the fact that it's a difference from what Deion Sanders was I think that I heard this from 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 someone that there's brand hires and then there's football hires and Deion Sanders was a brand hire because him being a a big brand guy he's one of the best athletes of all time and he takes up so much oxygen but with Ed Reed I think that Ed Reed like I heard is a football hire 
Well, you bring him in to rebuild an already winning storied program. Because like when you look at the last 13 years for, for Bethune Cookman, they were 10 and 2 in 2010, 2011, 8 and 3, 2012, 9 and 3, 2013, 10 and 3, 2014, 9 and 3, 2015, 9 and 2. They had their first losing season of the 2010s decade in 2016, where they were 4 and 6. Then they went back, they were 7 and 4 the next year. You know, so like Bethune Cookman is not like an albatross. Bethune Cookman is actually a storied program, and I'm excited to see where Ed Reed takes it. But I want to ask you this, Ario. With Ed Reed coming in, what do you think this says about professional players coaching at HBCUs? Because we've heard Cam Newton thrown around. We've heard Ray Lewis thrown around. And people are saying, well, Ray Lewis might as well join Ed Reed like with Bethune Cookman. So what do you think this says about professional players coaching at HBCUs? I mean, I wouldn't mind a double Ravens matchup, you know, (laughs) Ray Ray Lewis and Ed Reed. I think that sounds kind of good. I think it's a great thing. but. In me, it just seems kind of a trend right now. Not something that's permanent. It's just a trend because, of course, like like how we said, Deion Sanders started it. And I love how they're seeing the importance and they're seeing the specialty of let's give back to the people, even though necessarily he didn't go to an HBCU, but let's give back to my people and give them the effort and give them the type of inspiration that, hey, we can be better and this is where we need to go. And I hope it continues, but I don't know if this is going to last. I love that he's doing this. I hope he makes good out of it, but just... The, the transition and actually the awakening of professional football players coming back and trying to give back to the community. I don't want this just to be another upset or fail because Deion Sanders did leave. And if you look at other coaches that came in, they didn't have the best record either trying to follow that trend of bringing professional players into HBCU spaces. So hopefully he's actually that coach that kind of changed the dynamic. Like we can actually win. We can actually win championships and I'm not going anywhere. I'm not asking for you to give us a decade, but at least just give Give hope and at least give a positive review of, hey, you know, it doesn't matter the salary, it doesn't matter what players, it doesn't matter the recruitment. I'm here for you and I'm, I'm here to build this community. So I think what's interesting is that we're going to see in the 2023 season, we're going to see Ed Reed and his Bethune-Cookman Wildcats team go against Miami, which is an alma mater. I think that that's going to be interesting. I think that this, that's going to be more that meets the eye for that because you had Ed Reed that went back and was chief of staff for Miami. So he's coming in with a different set of experience than other pro players that became coaches, even at non HBCUs, because he has that administrative side. So he's seen from two years because he served as, as, as chief of staff for the University of Miami football team from 2020 to 2022 and that went into helping the players out with development seeing the behind the scenes of the athletic administration and what goes into fundraising what goes into building a successful program so i think bringing that to bethune cookman i think that that's going to be amazing and i think that reggie theus who's a former nba player a former all-star i think that that was really a great hire for him what should we expect from bethune cookman on next year should we expect swat championship undefeated FCS playoffs maybe like should we expect that or should we expect a gradual increase in the program's productivity I mean I love that you think big and the the cynic that I am I'm not going to give them you know being at the top of the swag I'm not going to give that to them after 
FAMU, everything that they went through last year and them still surviving. Southern kind of had a good season. Then you still have to look out for Alcorn, too. Those those top three teams, regardless outside of Jackson State, still have those vying points to where they are dominating championship teams. They're just not going to let Bethune-Cookman come in and take it, no matter how good they used to be or how good they're going to be. But I, I just expect their defense just to be a little better. I, I expect there to be a lot of interceptions because we know Ed Reed is known. He had a, a record of 13 interceptions you know I think they're going to be very highly intellectual it's nice to have really smart players on the field and hopefully he's just not all about ground game that's what Bethune Cookman tripped up on um hopefully he finds some wideouts his recruiting is really good and maybe we can see them you know come come in a little late behind the other four teams that I need so one thing that I want people to really look into when it comes to bringing in a celebrity you know such as Ed Reed is that I want people to divorce themselves from the Deion Sanders expectation because Deion Sanders has told you there's no other Deion Sanders. And we know that there's no other Deion Sanders. And Ed Reed is a different man. He was a different player. He was he was really good. He's a Hall of Fame player. He won a Super Bowl with the Ravens. And I think that we have to understand that are there going to be amazing standout young athletes, both transfers and, you know, rising high schoolers that want to play for Ed Reed at Bethune-Cookman? Yes, but I really want people to give Ed Reed the room and the time to build a program because that's not been what's been given, you know, to Eddie George, for example, because people were like, we're trying to fire Eddie George after a rough patch to start last season. And I think that that was wrong because you have to give Ed, you have to get Ed Reed, Eddie George, even Hugh Jackson, you have to give them time to build a program, to get their guys in, to trip up and fail a little bit because, and we always have this high expectation, but we need to remember, and I'll move on after this, Eddie Robinson, who I believe still is the best college football coach of all time, not just HBCUs, because we can say Jake Gaither as well, but Eddie Robinson is the best college football coach of all time, 57 years. But in those 57 years, his first season coaching, he had a losing record. So I think that we forget that. In the second season, he bounced back. You know, the third and fourth seasons, it was a war going on. So they didn't play any football. But that first season was a losing season. He talks about it in his autobiography. So I think that we have to temper our our expectations. He is a celebrity. He's going to get a lot of great players. But we have to allow him to maybe trip up, to maybe fit a little bit, to maybe lose to FAMU the first season. Let him do that and then let him work his way up because I think that we have a necessity need to be successful immediately. But let's move on to the SWAC this past year. I want to ask you this, Ariel. So who was the team that really impressed you? Like we all really thought Jackson State was going to do what they did. But who really impressed you outside of Jackson State? I have FAMU at number one. Nobody beats to me FAMU. I love their players, and then we we definitely fell in love with Jeremy Musa and just the arm and the incredible talent that he had and the wideouts that he, to me, technically, I actually liked the wideouts on FAMU's teams and I liked on anybody else's. I mean, their running game, it, it, was, it was standard. It wasn't, like, super strong. But the way they just formed together, even after playing that University of North Carolina game, their comeback was absolutely amazing. So they, they're my number one team. What I'll say, the team that impressed me the most in the swag has to be Alabama State. And people will be like, Alabama State, they, you know, they went six and five. They, they were five and six the year before. So, like, how did they impress you? Now, granted, they had a very questionable loss at the end of the year in the Turkey Day Classic, University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff. But first and foremost, of course, I really like that, 
you know, you ain't swag moment. Like who is swag? I, I really like that moment. And I think that that was the moment that took up so much oxygen in the football season. I just saw such a different swagger from Alabama State. And I honestly thought that they were going to be someone that scared a FAMU or a Jackson State. Then they had a great matchup against FAMU this season that it, it was a great game, probably one of the games of the year. You know, so I think that in the building block of, hey, I'm trying to build a successful program and a successful team. I think that Eddie Robinson Jr. in Alabama State, he proved a lot of people wrong. And he actually turned around and had a productive season and it's giving room for more. Then he has my favorite viral moment of the season. So I got to give him that love. So Alabama State, they impressed me. Let's end off with this, Ario, and talking about the swag. Outside of Jackson State, who was the team of the year for the swag? Who is that team to you? I stand. I think my team of the year is going to have to be FAMU. Um, one, I'm a sucker for a good underdog story. I think that through whatever obstacles they have been on and off the field and the team that they still were able to rally, despite who was on the team, what celebrities they had, who showed up at the game, how much exposure they did, they just played. And I love a team that just plays. And I was going to say Alabama State because they ain't. It wasn't a, like it was a rocky season, but it was still a good season. And between them, it was hard. But FAMU has my heart. I think, you know, despite of whatever happened, that's that's the team of the year. I agree. For me, the team of the year outside of Jackson State is FAMU. To start the season with 27 ineligible players and you have the players write a letter to, to President Robinson and essentially say that this isn't right. Like we need, you know, a better oversight of the team. And then for them, you know, to play competitively against the University of North Carolina, that with Drake May and the crew, they went on to be really good. And then you lose in such a just a demoralizing fashion to Jackson State in the Orange Blossom Classic after they battled them well to a seven to six loss last year. And this team had gotten better. Isaiah Land had an extra year, so now he's back and and now he's he's trying to get drafted, you know, trying to get in NFL like Marquise Bell. And we thought after that Jackson State loss, I think all of us thought they're going to crater. We're going to see FAMU falter. Then, of course, they play Albany State. And Albany State, I'm a D2 guy, Albany State play against FAMU pretty well. And FAMU won that game. But after that, like when you look at what FAMU did, they won every other game. And they had a chance to make the FCS playoffs again. And to me, that says a lot about the coaching of Coach Simmons, Coach Willie Simmons. That says a lot about the fan base of FAMU staying behind their football team. That says a lot about the amazing players from Jeremy Musa to Isaiah Land to Xavier Smith. That says a lot about the talent on that team. But I think that FAMU rehabilitated his season, and it says a lot about coaching, and it says a lot about the heart and the fight in FAMU. So I think that you are totally right. Like FAMU is the team of the year to both of us because like they deserve props for everything they had to go through and they still came out on top. They beat Bethune-Cookman. Like they, they just they kept winning. And we honestly thought they going back to the FCS playoffs and man, they coming for y'all because they motivated and then they didn't get picked. And that's a whole totally different conversation because they should have gotten picked but at the same time. I think that, you know, they're, they're fine. Aria, where can we find you on social media? You can find me on Instagram, underscore, underscore, dot, modern day Ari, or you can talk to me on Twitter at askriri, underscore, underscore, or follow me on my website at www.theonnextopinion.weebly.com.
Coming up next, we talk to Joshua Sims Jr. He's a former North Carolina Central football player and a proud Eagle alum about North Carolina Central's championship season. So make sure to stay tuned. You listen to HBCU Pulse Radio on Sirius XM Channel 142, HBCU. From the shade room to your news feed, we brag different. You're locked into HBCU Pulse, now trending worldwide. Welcome back to HBCU Pulse Radio on Sirius XM Channel 142 HBCU. So we were talking about the SWAC and everything going on in the SWAC, but we got to talk about the champs, man. We got to talk about the MEAC, man. We got to talk about yeah. North Carolina Central and what's really going on because they continue to keep beating the SWAC. I'm just, I'm just saying it's the truth. So I got my guy Josh Sims Jr. He's a North Carolina Central alumnus, played football in North Carolina Central, and he's the host of HBCU Nightly. Josh, how you doing, man? Man, doing phenomenal, my brother. Blessed and highly favored, man. I'm super appreciative to be on the show with you, my brother. Uh, man, all of the work that you guys are doing over at HBCU Pulse, man, and, and really being able to give the game something that has been missing, man, honestly. So super salute to you and your team there at HBCU Pulse, and super salute to 1801 Fayetteville Street, Durham, North Carolina, 27707, North Carolina Central University, man. We the champs, baby. We the champs. Yes, sir. Like, so first and foremost, I got to ask you this before we really get into it. How are you feeling, man? Like, North Carolina Central, you guys, in 2016, you played Grambling, and it was a really defensive game, lost 10-9, but then you came back, and you put the HBCU culture on your back, and you beat Jackson State in the game of the year, really. So how do you, how are you yeah. feeling as an alum, man? Man, honestly, man, um, you know, I've, I've, I've summed this feeling up into two particular moments, man. After the game ended, man, uh, for, for those of you who don't know, man, um, I'm not only a North Carolina Central alum, but I'm also a third-generation North Carolina Central alum. My mother and father went to North Carolina Central. My grandparents, my grandmother and grandfather went to North Carolina Central as well. And so, you know, upon the end of the game, man, the first person who called me was my mom. And I said, Mama, we did it. You know, it just it felt like, you know, the ghost of 2016 was finally off of our back. Um, you know, and, and for a long time, man, we felt the we felt the stain, man, um, of of losing that 2016 national championship game. And what I thought was one of our best teams as well, led by Malcolm Bell and that whole squad and that team, man, and under Coach Mack. But this team in particular was a renaissance back, man. So this one felt a little better because this squad felt like the old school North Carolina Central football team that I grew up on. You know, I, I came up through the 90s, man, so I remember seeing Coach Oliver play on the, in the 90s. I remember seeing Adrian Jones play in the 90s, man. I remember seeing Dawson Odoms play in the 90s, man. I remember seeing all of these guys, man, who are now coaches, who the world are getting to know as coaches. I remember seeing these guys play, man, as a kid, man, and I just remember how they really kind of represented. Shoot, I remember seeing Coach Moten play when he was in college, at North Carolina Central playing basketball as a kid as well, man. So, you know, to see us return back to this, man, the feeling is incredible. It's hard to explain. It's hard to express, brother. Uh, but we the champs, man, and it feels good to be the champs for sure. So let's talk about the celebration bowl. So from your vantage point, because you cause because you were setting them straight. You were like, just see, just watch. This is what happened. So tell us your thought process about the celebration bowl. And honestly, we can also talk about the disrespect. Talk about the disrespect too, because there was a lot of folks that was disrespecting Central. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's where I'm gonna go first. That's where I'm gonna go first. And and I'm I'm glad that I'm able to do it on this show. I'm gonna do it on this show the same way I did it on on HBCU nightly. I mean, the truth is that the, the level of disrespect, and I, and I want to make sure I preface this statement. I expected it from Jackson State alum and fans. You know, you're supposed to feel like 
your programming, your alma mater, and your institution, it's, it ain't just like that. You're supposed to feel like that. But some of y'all casuals, some of y'all who don't, you know what I mean, you don't really understand this game. You love one particular guy above anything else. You ain't really here for the coach. You have no idea what this looks like from an overall game perspective, from a preparation standpoint. You have no idea. You just you just infatuated with the brand that is the previous coach at Jackson State. Y'all got a little disrespectful. Not a little. You got real disrespectful. And I want to make sure that you guys understand this because I hope that this is a lesson for you going throughout life. Celebrity don't win you no game. The coach can't play. And at the end of the day, it comes down to those guys who got a lot up against each other. And when you look at the preparation of one said team versus another said team, don't come to me talking about no lag or no layoff time because when we were on Christmas break, our players were still practicing. So when it came down to the game itself, I tried to tell you that not only was the players better, not only were we a better team, our coaching staff from top to bottom was better. Our head coach was better. I felt like we had the better quarterback. And I got a lot of love for Shador. Everybody know, if you ever listen to HBC Night, I, I give so much love to Shador about this kid's in between his ears. I don't know if I've seen another kid in between his ears as smart as he is at the age he is playing that position. But when you look at this game, I tried to tell y'all, that North Carolina Central was just better. Not that we had the rest, not that we had all of these other advantages and all this other stuff. We were just a better team. And we had always been the better team. But because some of y'all got a little, you know, you got a little beside yourself. You had a little bit too much dip on your chip, and we always do. And, you know, at some point, we all going to have that time in our life. We just put a, we just take a little bit too much. But the truth of the matter is, this team that we had this past season, I want y'all to make no mistake about it. They were better. And I'm going to be honest with you because I know we got to talk about it. That score y'all saw in that game, it could have been worse. I'm going to just tell you that. I'm going to leave that there. I ain't going to go there. It could have been worse. You go back and watch the film. Go watch the game if you want to. I'll send you the link for me directly. Go back and watch this game. It could have been worse, ladies and gentlemen. It, it really could have. And it's just like, because like, like I said, I try to look at it from a nuanced perspective. It was a lot of hype around Jackson State, of course, because, you know, Deion Sanders was there. I try my best not to talk about him as much anymore. But, like, you know, it was a lot of hype, but they were a really good team. But I think the difference that you see within the MEAC and the SWAC is, of course, the out-of-conference schedule where, where, you're, where you're used to different styles. But also it was the trench play. And what mm-hmm. I saw was I saw a North Carolina Central team that, protected the quarterback so well. And it's like, yeah. like Davis did not get sacked. He didn't get touched. Yeah. You know, he didn't get touched at all. And and on the other side, Shador, I think, I think Shador got, it was two, it was two sacks. It, it was one on that two point conversion. There was another one. North Carolina, so you all were protecting the quarterback better. And then Davis being such a dual threat and being able to get those first downs. Then the, the play, the play of the game for me, that I think people missed because I was watching the whole entire game. It was when Davius threw on Travis Hunter, and it was almost about a mm-hmm. touchdown. Travis got to him. It was that mm-hmm. first one. That, like he, he he hit that slant, tight toward, towards out of bounds. He threw it single coverage. That was Travis Hunter. Mm-hmm. That that they, they caught he caught it all. Like so, it's like I just saw so much in that game that I think that people glossed over because of the spectacle of what was Deion Sanders, and 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 I think that that's what we have to really look at in the future. I don't think Ed Reed is going to be Deion Sanders. I don't think he's going to be that. But 
I think that we're going to fall into the same traps. Why don't we look at like someone like Coach Oliver that went to Central and that really built up this squad? Why don't we look at what's happening on the field? And yeah, we can enjoy the spectacle of this celebrity here, but why don't we look at the fact that from every metric, this was an identical team. Like this isn't like, oh, this is a script. Like this is an identical team. This isn't like Georgia and TCU. Okay, it wasn't like that because they were different. Jordan TCU were different. The record was one thing, but it was there was two different things. Okay, no, it wasn't like that with with Central and then Jack State. Styles make fights and like it was like it was like Ali fighting Ali. All right, you know what I'm saying? It's like come on. So that was how I looked at it. But talking about the game, how did you look at the game? Because you already knew what was going to happen. How did you look at the game and what you saw on the field? Well, I broke the game down into three parts. Um, I, I knew that there was going to be a battle between North Carolina Central's offensive line and Jackson State's defensive line. I thought that Jackson State's defensive line going into this game was probably the weakest part of their defense. I thought that their back, I thought their back seven was probably the, best, the most the most competitive part between the linebackers and those DBs. I thought that was the best part of their defense. I mean, you, you talk about Travis Hunter, you talk about the uh, DeJuan, uh, you know, Nugget Warren, you talk about even, you know, even Isaiah Bolden inside the slot, they played him a lot at the nickel. That's a 6-2 DB, 6-2, 6-3 DB playing at the nickel. If you ain't got somebody who can beat them out in, in, in space, you ain't going to be able to get past them. Those safeties they had back there, I felt like, you know, uh, they had a, a good rotation safety. Cameron uh, Sylvan Craig was a great kid. I thought he was incredible. I thought that he should have been first team all-conference this year. Uh, you know, and then Shiloh back there as well. I thought that that back seven, I mean, you talk about Aubrey Miller. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, I thought that they, their back seven was their strength of their defense. Um, I thought that their defensive line was the weakest part of their defense. And I knew that if I looked at it from that part where our offensive line was the best part of our offense, is that our offensive line was the most stable and structured part of, our offense, of North Carolina Central's offense. And I knew that was going to be a battle. The second battle I, I looked at was the DBs and the wide receivers on both sides, whether it was Jackson State's wide receivers and Central's DBs or North Carolina Central's wide receivers and Jackson State DBs, who was going to win that battle. All right, and we can have a we can run a poll on who we say won each battle. Uh, I think both receiving cores won the battle. I think Jackson State's wide receiving core beat North Carolina Central's wide receiving core. I think North Carolina Central's wide receiving core beat Jackson State's wide receiving core. We, you know, we. I mean, honestly, North Carolina Central's receiving core made Travis Hunter look ordinary. You know, and this is a kid that is absolutely not ordinary. He's extraordinary as a talent. But I also believe that Travis Hunter and and all of the guys they had in their receiving core made North Carolina Central's DBs look ordinary. And, you know, both guys, both both cores had guys that, you know, North Carolina Central had Khalil Baker, who is now his draft stock is rising through the roof and, and things of that sort. Though they didn't pass it, on, pass it against Khalil Baker a lot, and that's another conversation. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it was still, you know, it was like that. You know, it was a game. It was, it was a football game. And I think the third part was going to be the, the battle between the coaches' minds, um, whether it's offensive coordinator Brett Bartoloni versus, uh, you know, our defensive coordinator Courtney Core, or if it was going to be our offensive coordinator Matt Leone versus their defensive coordinator um, Coach Dick. You know what I mean? And I thought that that was going to be a, a just as important of a battle as how you going to call this play, how you going to adjust to that. You know, in all of these situations, who's going to win the battle here and there? And so I think that it was important uh, to know those three parts. And all three of those parts ended up being the big part of how this game ended up turning out. HBCUs are more than a trend. Yeah. We're forever a part of the culture. HBCU Pulse always has you on lock. From the shade room to your favorite news feed. And now on your TV and radio. We are, 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 are the number one outlet for 
HBCU culture. Follow HBCU Pulse on social media and visit HBCUPulse.com to stay up to date on what's going on in the HBCU community. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for us today on HBCU Pulse Radio and Sirius XM. Thank you so much for tuning in around the nation. We got a chance to spotlight some amazing football that happened in the SWAC and the MEAC. If you're interested, once again, in hearing the full interview with Joshua Sims Jr., make sure you head over to our YouTube and also HBC League Pass Plus, Channel 201, to check out the full interview. But outside of that, thank you so much for tuning in to everyone around the HBCU Nation, and we'll see you next week. Like what you hear? Uh, yeah. Subscribe to HBCU Pulse Radio on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, head to HBCUPulse.com to stay up to date on what's going on in the HBCU community. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening, listening to HBCU, HBCU Pulse, Pulse Radio. Radio.